Welcome to It's Not That Deep with me, Lucy Woods, a mindfulness teacher, and me, Adrienne Kirk, a psychotherapist. Every episode, we discuss navigating the messiness of everyday life. We know it's a big subject, but we will do our best to discuss it lightly and make some sense of it all. In this episode, we're going to discuss why the people we love don't necessarily get the best of us. And as I say that, it's an awful lot of words. There must be a quicker, shorter, snappier way of saying that, and I can't think of it. No, and if we find a more succinct way of phrasing it, that the episode title, when we upload this, might be slightly different. But <laughs> the gist of it will be the same. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that we... Whether it's to do with comfort or, or or feeling like we can just be whoever we want to be around those that we're closest to should be a good thing, but sometimes it means that, like you say, don't don't people don't get the best of us. They get actually the warts and all, or perhaps just more warts than <laughs> than all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes do have that sort of sense that. Um, that having spent a day, you know, being un- non-judgmental and kind and compassionate and curious and available to clients that when I reach the kitchen and to make dinner that... It's all used up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's all used up. But it's sort of, you know, I mean, it's not quite as bad as that I'm instantly a, you know, a Harridan bellowing but mm. but it but but I but I can feel occasionally I can feel that switch that juxtaposition of of this very calm available person suddenly becoming you know maybe that's it maybe maybe there is something there about kind of right now I just need my needs to be met yeah. <laughs> because compassion can be very challenging I mean mm. you know in the work that you do you obviously all of your clients come to you with some kind of distress or difficulty. Um, a proportion of my work is with people in real stress and, and difficulty, but everyone's got some kind of difficulty. But for those that, let's say, are living with an illness or something like that, you know, it's very hard. It's hard is not the right word, but it, it, it is hard not to kind of want to also cry alongside or, or really feel... The feels of, mm. of what someone else is going through. See, being with someone else in and pain and, and discomfort, it's going to affect another human being, right? So to to engage this this quality of compassion does take a little bit of effort. It's a it's a choice. It's a way of being. So I I empathise with that. <laughs> like I I see that in myself as well. Like right, I've done the morning being compassionate. I don't have to do that with you. Yeah, I can be frustrated. Yeah. that yet again that plate is not in the dishwasher or yes. whatever is the thing someone has taken the last thing out of the packet but left the packet in the cupboard yeah that is the stuff with that the door out. open uh-huh. with the door open yeah i left the freezer yeah. slightly ajar and all the food is ruined or something you know. yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. oh, it's clearly a real thing and then we come across as yes as being perhaps this person that comes in and, and moans i do sometimes feel like i must come across as that because I need to, I need to moan about the things that aren't as I'd quite like them to be. <laughs> so it's about addressing the balance, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you said something really interesting at the beginning, beginning, which is about, which is about comfort, right? So, you, you know, 
anecdotally, we, we know a gazillion people who say, oh, it was all lovely at the beginning. We went out for meals and he bought flowers and he remembered my birthday. And then at some point it just sort of stopped and we we comfortably sort of jog along, but without what felt like all of that care that I got at the beginning absolutely and clearly we can't keep that up the whole time because there is something I think about about the uncertainty right so when we're forming new relationships we there we put effort in we don't know whether it will work and particularly if we really like this person and we want them to like us then they are going to see the best version of ourselves right and if we don't live with them it's quite easy to keep the other parts of ourselves because we are all made up of any number of parts it's quite easy to keep those no sort good of ones yeah, yeah exactly on the on the back burner a bit and yeah. oh and here are all my lovely qualities <laughs> i lived as a student um with someone when her boyfriend came over she set her alarm for four o'clock in the morning put her full face of makeup on oh my god yeah i think she took it off after he was asleep uh, otherwise and then got up early to put it on oh wow that's real that they thing. saw this sort of perfectly curated version of self like goodness yeah so that would be quite interesting wouldn't it to, yeah. to think well what what happens in the long term are you going to keep this up for the rest of your life because we can't no you know um and there's that sense that comp- it's a freedom in being able to mm. be yourself and put your comfy clothes on and have your hair looking a mess without feeling like they're not going to love you anymore yeah. or that you're going to be judged for that but then perhaps there's this tipping over into forgetting that relationships need attention and yeah. work and a bit of added something, not just coming in and moaning about because you're not being clean. Yeah, yes, and not just being our the best version of ourselves when we go out and see other people. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think there's something really important about about attention, paying attention to those really meaningful relationships you know, whether that's a friendship or or family or you know the people within our household yeah. our partners our children yeah and look I think it's really important to come to the things or the ways in which we can do that um, and ensure that we are paying attention and what what um, oh gosh I've had one of those mind no, um, blank. See, I can't even find the words for that. That's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> I think. So, so shall I take over for a moment? Uh, yeah. and, and, and I really that thought might hold come on back to, this to you. Thought, though. Go on. Okay. Go on. Can you can you access it? I might be able to. <laughs> I was going to say there is something about that feeling that our needs aren't being met, right? That's what I was and... going to say. <laughs> So we come to that what you were saying about the attention thing, but also to this silent seething that yes. I mentioned when we were talking about yes. doing this. That there's that sense that someone else should know mm-hmm. what it is that that is needed, without being explicit about it. Yeah, and I work with couples as well as individuals, and you know there's that sort of sense that they've been together for half their lives, and the other person ought to know what they're thinking or what they need or you know how to how to comfort in that moment without without me having to say you know so there is something about about 
our needs not being met, but also something about an expectation that they ought to be met without us having to explicitly ask for it. We might have to ask for it with people whose relationships are not as close, but for for the people who, who love us most in the world, they really ought, we think, to be able to read our minds. And then we're really disappointed when they don't. And we do the silent seething rather than going, can I just... Do we think this is a female thing predominantly? Oh, so it's hard to know. Isn't yeah, it's it? hard to know. I think we are more likely as females to have the kind of conversations that explore this stuff. So it feels like we're all similar and that we do do this. Yeah. But whether men do it or not, I don't know because they're less likely to have the conversations. Yeah, and of course, in my work, what I see is a sort of a skewed group, right? Mm. So I see people who who are coming for help. And they're already in, in that exactly, issue. and so so the men that I see, you know, are are kind of open to to exploring that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have sought therapy. And they wouldn't be coming through your door. No. no However, I agree that 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 my that my sort of gut sense, because it's my female friends I talk to about these things, my gut sense is that is that it's something we do. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I. Who knows? If, if men don't have the groups to talk about it and it's not part of... we, we in, in another podcast, we've kind of talked about kind of group norms and if that's not what, if that's not what that group does, does yeah. then, yeah. And I think we've also touched on this kind of needs not being met thing. Yes. And talked about, you know, people aren't psychic. No. And if we've got comfortable enough to just come in and, you know, I don't know, moan about stuff perhaps they've got comfortable enough to think I don't need to do the things that she once upon a time expected because hey we live together now or we've got a house together now or, I've proved you know, that I love her and now yes, she knows yeah <laughs> I married her or got a cat with her or you know and it'd be interesting to know what happened obviously I can only speak from a sort of heterosexual relationship point of view and it'd be interesting to see what the dynamic is like. I'd really love that to, to have better understanding about if it were a relationship between two women or two men or whatever, how that dynamic changes. I think, I think yeah. I, my opinion is very kind of one-sided. Um, so it's, it's, it's coming from a place of, not, of ignorance to, to other, um, other dynamics in relationships. Yeah, so. the friends I have who are in same-sex relationships, mm. you hear the same conversations. So, you know, that that fantasy that I might have about, well, if I had a relationship with a woman, then then it would all be, we'd, we'd understand each other a whole lot better, is not borne out by the people I know in those relationships. Right. So, right. you know, I think there is something about a relationship and the comfort and the and the feeling like we don't, we don't have to make quite so much effort because they know us and they love us already. Yes, and again, we've talked in other podcasts about sort of rejection from the group or whatever. In this instance, our group might be just two. Mm. Um, and there's less fear of that once there's some kind of commitment in yeah. place. And so more letting go of effort, maybe, and attention, and more just allowing mind speaking freely you know there is a freedom in it mm. um in being able to, to to just be who you are but not at the expense of there, so there are always consequences right to all our actions and words there are consequences and some of those consequences are really positive and some of them not so much and so i think we have to be mindful of that as well 
you know that 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 there are there are ways of speaking our truth where the other person is more able to hear them mm. that they that they land better rather than you always i am fed up that this always happens interestingly <laughs> what suddenly struck me is you know how everybody in the last i don't know 20 30 years that's had children's kind of I remember my parents said, there's no manual for it. But there's now a lot more manuals, and you might subscribe to one way or another. But there's certain things that we know are helpful for children mm-hmm. and things in a, in a way that we never did once upon a time because yeah. we're much more able to explore the brain and how it works and what bits light up and whatever. So neuroscience has come a hugely long way in the last 40 years, for example. And so... That you, there are a lot more resources available for people knowing how best to, to manage that relationship, parent to child. Yeah. And there really feels that there should be more... People don't want to talk about problems in relationships or, you know, all of a sudden it means that there's something wrong with your relationship or you aren't just, you know, the love of each other's lives or whatever if, if you have difficulties. But, of yeah. course, if we're honest, which people often don't see this, because we have curated versions of our lives out there. If we're honest, all relationships have challenges. So it's really interesting you say that because what I'm noticing and other people who who I know who do relationship work, what we're noticing is that relationship clients come in kind of two groups. So there are the older people, people our age and, and over, who, who have hit a real roadblock and are coming to as a sort of a make or break. But there's also a really interesting group of much younger people in their sort of 20s or so who are coming for relationship therapy at the very beginning of their relationship, not because there's a particular problem, but because what they want to do is sort of actively think about how they might work as a couple and where problems might arise and how they get some insight. I know, right? It's so interesting. That's incredible. I have so much hope for the mental health of future generations. There's so much uh, that is kind of difficult being in the internet world and and other things, but there's so much that's healthy. You know, I was having a conversation with, I'm taking a slight detour, but okay. uh, having a, a difference between, say, um, the sort of 40, 50 plus generation versus younger around the workplace, mm-hmm. that actually people in their 20s and 30s, they're much more likely to put boundaries in place and say, no, you know, this is my, I'll work as hard. And when something doesn't feel okay, I'm confident in, enough in myself to say, that's not okay, you know? And that feels brilliant yeah. because the burnout of our age group, um, you know, put up and shut up, mm. is not okay that employers could exploit us. And so things like this, where they're actually actively knowing there are resources, being more vocal about mental health, being more able to find it, there are stuff that, that I think the resilience piece might be missing a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, needing, not being able to tolerate any kind of distress seems to be something that, that perhaps they could have a little bit more help with but that seems so insightful yeah yeah I've, I've, I've also had a couple of clients who have come along male clients who come along because there's a baby on the way and they want to explore how they might be the best father they can be right so so this this sort of preempting this you know the seeking information i think is i think is really interesting and vital can i just touch on that yeah the, the, the parenting thing. yeah now you're gonna laugh at me I watched a documentary on Netflix about right. Pamela Anderson. 
Okay. Right? It's really interesting, actually, really interesting. But Tommy Lee, mm-hmm. when her children were born, she had two very young children, was like, what about me? And lost his head. And it was the breakdown of the relationship. Because he suddenly went from them two being the most important people in their lives, and then these two needy babies, where Pamela Anderson was putting them their needs first, and was kind of like, can I get some help around here? But he was like a kind of, I'm not getting my my needs met. And it must be very difficult for men, actually, Mm. coming into having this dynamic, and then that dynamic shifting. Yeah. So, you know, that that also is insightful of of those men wanting to say, I'm going to be having a baby, and I know it's going to change. Yeah. And so what I'd like to do is is explore resources in myself to manage that change. Mm. You know, I think I think I think it's I think it's brilliant, you know. And I know there's a whole bunch of stuff around kind of love language and how we kind of express ourselves, but but I think it is important to to really think about what are the ways in which I demonstrate my love and what are the ways Love gets demonstrated to me. So that's worth finding out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's an exercise that, that we I do with clients, right? It's, it's a bit of homework. You know? So you know, write a list of the ways in which... The things you do that demonstrate that you love the other person and the things that they do that tell you they love you and compare the lists. And it's really, it's really interesting, you know. It, it's the basis of a conversation, right? So... I mean, the other thing to think about is, is what are the things that I feel I would need to know? Because the other person isn't psychic. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. you know, I might need a hug, whereas uh, my partner might not be very tactile. Right. So so the whole, you know, it feels like we've gone to bed, gone to sleep on an argument rather than making up. Mm-hmm. But. But that might not be the way they look at it. So having those conversations, working out where those misconceptions are, right? Because we all think, we often think that our way of doing things is is the way, and that and that that's the only way. Yeah, uh, and we think the way we're viewing it is the way. Yeah, and we've discussed this many times that yeah. the way we're viewing it is just our perception, not reality. Absolutely, and the way someone else is viewing it could be very different. Yeah. So it, it all sounds quite challenging it's to r- bring those conversations up. Yeah. They're not something that we're used to. This is what I'm saying about this sort of it becoming more normal to be reading books about or finding out more information about. But it sounds, it seems, sorry, it strikes me as something really important to have the courage yeah. to have the conversations Absolutely. And sometimes, so if somebody comes to therapy, you know, we, we practice those sorts of conversations in what feels like a safe space, right? Because there's this, there's a third party there to kind of help that along. And it can feel, I think, at least from an, from a, an initial perspective, it can feel a little bit formulaic, right? So we're going to practice having a conversation about a check-in, at the end of the day, how was your day, right? But it's important that that we learn 
to give that person our full attention because we're so used to them being around that we have a conversation or oh, how was your day and, and now I'm chopping an onion or could you just pass me that and they're part way through telling you something and then and then you know and they'll you call the, exactly or call the kids down or the oh it's time for the archers and put the radio on <laughs> or whatever welcome to my world um, <laughs> um, or, or whatever it is and they're still trying to tell you about Mm-hmm. about something that happened in their day because you've asked <laughs> attention seems to be this this thing that keeps being the thread of this, yeah. this podcast and I think our attention is so scattered and pulled by so many different things in a way that perhaps it wasn't once upon a time it's worth being aware of though isn't it it really is can we give someone our full attention yeah yeah and can we can we give the person we love most in the world our full attention because actually we tend to do that at work and with our friends and then as you say that whole kind of comfortable thing at home and also there's any number of things to do in the house which feels sort of simultaneous we've had any number of conversations about actually it's not possible to do more than one thing at a time you know yeah. well definitely not if you're trying to have a conversation no. with something that's cognitive yeah you know you can't listen and be elsewhere you know listening is psychological yeah. Hearing is physiological, listening is psychological. It takes three things. Oh my gosh, I suddenly feel my sales trainer thing coming back <laughs> on. But you know, with the ability to hear, the ability to understand what's being said, because you could hear and listen to someone that was speaking in Chinese, but if you didn't speak. But then of this choosing to pay attention, you have to switch on to saying, right, this is something I am listening to. And so often we listen for the gap so that we can speak rather than listening to the words and the emotion behind them listening in order to reply yeah rather absolutely than to understand or to yeah. Hear, yeah yeah and so that's one thing i we we do in the therapy room is is practice giving one person the floor and then the what's coming from the other side is is question so exploration to understand reflecting back showing some empathy before you kind of get the right of reply and swap over which is why it kind of feels formulaic but unless you practice those things we don't do them right Mm. we just listen for our moment to get our our reply in or to change the subject and say you know that whole kind of yes but you always (laughs) yeah it's it's so interesting isn't it because we are such kind of connected beings and we thrive on all the different relationships that are in our lives and yet it's some of the most difficult and stressful stuff yeah is, absolutely. is navigating this kind of difficult world of of relationships and if we kind of come back to the pot the not the point but you know what we were saying about getting the best giving the best version of ourselves or, or allowing, you know, the, what, what, how do we put it? It's the people that we love most that don't get the best version of ourselves. It feels a bit like, a bit unfair, mm. doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, the you know, the what can we do about it? So I've mentioned some of the, the tools that we might use in therapy, but I think the fundamental thing is attention, is to, is to nurture that relationship the you know not not necessarily 
100% of the time the way we did when it was starting, but to put time aside for it to be nurtured. Mm. So making time for a date or just to sit down and eat together or to have a conversation, a check-in, not necessarily every day, but but if you can, that's brilliant, but certainly at periods of time. And then perhaps bigger check-ins about you know, what do we, what do we want from our year and how are we doing and where, when, you know, can we have holidays and, and, and times together and kind of plan things in, which sometimes doesn't sound very romantic, but, but we need to make time for these things, not just find the time for them because we never do. Yeah. And, and also what we were saying around the silent seething. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's become a new phrase of the day. But <laughs> taking time to do that brave, courageous work of saying, particularly if someone's feeling quite unhappy, and that's why the other person isn't getting the best then, because they're sitting in their frustration. Yeah. But if that's not voiced, then it's it's like a, a, it'll never go away. No. It turns to resentment. Absolutely. And, and then that's going to lead to probably a breakdown of the relationship. So having the courage to kind of say... Yeah, not just have the conversations that support any relationship, but the difficult ones too. Yes. Which can feel sort of quite frightening, you know. You don't want to push someone away. You don't want them to suddenly see you in a different light. But actually, if perhaps the motivation is to get back to the light in which they saw you in the first place, you know, to reconnect with that stuff, what made that work, why were the needs being met more then than they are now, etc. And needs change over time as well, right? So uh, learning to ask for our needs to be met in a way that feels supportive to the relationship and allows the other person to also ask, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Anything else to add No, I think... um, I'm, yeah, I've, I've loved this conversation. I know, actually. it's really interesting. It took yeah. a slightly kind of different way than I thought. And I just think, I suppose a reminder that, that if this is not our usual way of being, these mm. things can be practised and learned. Hence, yeah. the, hence the kind of um, scenarios you were talking about in therapy or the practice of paying attention. They're, they're skills we can develop. Yes. Not, it doesn't have to be that we just naturally can switch light switch. All this stuff needs work, doesn't it? Always, yes. And the fact that it does need some work doesn't mean that all is lost. It can be worked at. Exactly. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to It's Not That Deep with Lucy Woods and Adrienne Kirk. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe so you never miss an episode?